So, part three. In the talk this evening, I would like to review a little bit what I've talked about in the talks on our stories and to also look this evening at what it means or might mean for us to be free within our stories. Over the last couple of talks, I've explored somewhat the nature of our personal story and the prisons that can be created for ourselves on a moment-to-moment level through believing our stories to be our total reality. And hopefully look somewhat too and explored the understanding that is needed, the change of heart that is needed to allow us to let go of our stories and our investment in them, the trust and the confidence that allows us to open to a greater sense of reality to open to, within ourselves, a sense of new possibilities through trusting, through being present, to be able to cultivate, perhaps we might say, a sense of vision of our own possibilities. It seems to me that the whole of the spiritual path and the whole of the meditative life is really a life of devotion This life is devoted to letting go of all that is false and limiting. This life is truly devoted to awakening to all that is true and all that is genuine within ourselves and within each moment. It is this understanding that enables us and empowers us to live in a spirit of freedom, with an open heart in all moments and in all circumstances in our lives. As we have encountered here, as you may have encountered in your experience here, our personal stories are our most deeply ingrained belief system. Our idea of who we are now cannot be separated from all that we have been before. Our idea of who we are now is shaped by the past, which molds and flavors our present. And when not inquired into, when not understood deeply, all that we have been before also shapes our next moment. This moment we are in now, it is the mother of the next moment. It is so important to understand that. Where we cling now, where we hold now, we carry the residues of that into the very next moment that we experience. It becomes a legacy that our next moment inherits. The opening, the understanding, the sensitivity that we are able to bring to this moment, it is also brought into the next moment that we experience. This moment, is our next moment's personal history. If we really understand that so deeply, we really do see the need to be 
so awake and what transformation can be born of just being awake in this moment. To be able to enter into every moment in our lives without carrying the burden of that history. Surely this is what innocence is about. This is what seeing anew is about. This is what seeing freshly is about. And I think we have a sense of what a transformation can come in our lives, our relationships with other people, our relationships with ourselves, if we are able to enter into the moments of our lives, not burdened by what has gone before, not burdened by the images that are formed through holding, not burdened by conclusions. It means to live in an awake way. Our personal story carries our fears and our hopes, our histories, our memories of pain and joy. It is these memories and the experiences of the past and the holdings in the present that give us a sense of self and individuality. And we very often feel that in order to survive in a world of selves, that we must protect and preserve this self. We often fear that unless we are preserving and protecting this self, we will somehow be consumed or submerged in all of these other selves in the world. Now, our story has the potential to be the most strongly armored prison that we can ever encounter. A prison which is defended and protected and a prison which serves to set us apart from all things. Our story equally has the potential to be the most fertile ground for deep and profound understanding. Understanding our story is a path that can set us free. Understanding and connecting with the essence, with the nature, with the heart of our own story is a path that connect, can connect us profoundly with all that is true in the world and with the hearts of other people. Understanding our own story with great sensitivity and awareness is an understanding that can be a vehicle for understanding all stories. And being that, it can also end the gulf of separation that divides us from others. Understanding our stories so deeply and profoundly is actually, when used wisely and well, a means to ending the isolation of individuality. And the other evening I was speaking about letting go of and learning from our stories, not because there's something wrong with them, not because there's something bad about them, but that letting go of and learning from our stories is our means of moving on in our lives, frees us to move on in our lives. Now to no longer believe in the delusions of our stories, 
does not imply in any way that we need to erase or negate or suppress or judge our stories. We are not asked to do any of this. We are not asked, letting go of the delusion of our stories does not imply in any way or is not an encouragement in any way to get rid of things. You know, to get rid of of our past, to get rid of our memories, to get rid of our experiences. It is not this. Letting go of our, the delusions of our stories is not an encouragement to attempt to, to stamp out our personal histories, nor is it an encouragement to attempt to subdue our uniqueness as a human being. Letting go of the delusions of our stories doesn't mean reducing ourselves to a, a phantom-like existence where we are invisible in the world and devoid of creativity and devoid of, of uniqueness. Letting go of our stories is not about letting go of our gifts for communication, for creating, for touching, for relationship. It doesn't mean letting go of our capacity to touch the heart of one another, to communicate and to abide in a cocoon of nothingness. We don't come here seeking that kind of existence. It's not, I think, especially attractive to anyone. And in fact, it is what we often fear. It is often part of our fears, you know, that. If I let go, you know, I'm not going to be an artist anymore and I don't want to have relationships anymore and all those kind of fears that lie underneath. This is not what is meant by letting go of the delusions of our stories. Liberation is not nothingness. It is about awakening to the truth of our own being awakening to the fullness of our own being. And in that awakening, being so free to embody that truth in every area of our lives. Awakening and liberation frees us to draw upon something other than memory and history and fear and self-consciousness to guide us in our lives. Awakening to what is true letting go of what is false, frees us to draw upon profound wisdom, compassion, and intuition, to live a life of vitality, to live a life of awareness that is saturated with peace and with compassion. On one level, as long as we live, of course, we all have a story. As long as we live, we all have bodies, we all have minds, we all have hearts, we all have ways of seeing. None of these are obstacles to liberation. If these were obstacles to liberation, then it would be saying that only the dead can be liberated. This is not what is taught. The living can be liberated. None of these are obstacles to liberation. 
to see any of them as being obstacles to liberation is like saying, well, the clouds are an obstacle to the sun. You know, the stars are an obstacle to the sky. This is clearly not so. We all will carry with us in our lives our memories and our histories. We will carry with us our impressions of pain and joy. Many of these have brought us to where we are. They have brought us to this moment. They are not to be rejected, not to be dismissed. They have helped to bring us to where we are now. All of us in this room, all of us in this world, make an impact upon the world. We all have an appearance. We look a little different. We see a little differently. We think a little differently. We have different aspirations. All of us have an appearance in this world. And we live in a world of appearances. Our appearance in this world is somewhat unique to us. Just as all appearances in this world are each unique unto themselves. When we look with our eyes, when we look with our hearts, we connect with the world of appearances and the world of stories. We see the stories of tragedy, the stories of joy. We see the stories of nature. We see the stories of the animal world. We see the stories of people. We are surrounded by stories, and we are one of the stories amongst them. And there is something so deeply magical about this, something so mysterious. We understand that the world is made of many stories, sometimes in conflict and sometimes in harmony. Now, to be awake, there's never been a requirement that we somehow must negate our story. I sometimes, you know, feel, feel even somewhat suspicious when people tell me, you know, I've transcended my body, I've transcended my mind, I've transcended my feelings, you know, I've transcended my personality. I think, well, where did they go? You know, where did they go? What happened to them? And where are you? Where are you resting? We are not asked to negate our story. We are asked to let go of clinging. We are asked to let go of the identification with our story to let go of the investment that we have within our changing stories. We are no longer, we are asked to no longer believe that our stories can in any way define or describe the truth of who we are. Now, as long as we hold on to any detail of our story and say, this is who I am, we have closed the book. As long as we hold on to any detail of our story and say, now I know who I am. This is what I am. 
then that investment and that holding creates a prism. Now, the nature of identification, the very nature of identification, is that it limits and confines our understanding of reality. The nature of awakening is to be no longer confined or limited. Identifying with our story, our personal world can become so hypnotizing for us, so fascinating, so imposing. We are so absorbed within it that we can see it is that absorption that separates us from all things. Opening into our story, learning to hold our story in the light of awareness and the light of understanding is an opening that enables us to touch the whole of the human story. Opening into and understanding our story connects us with the whole of the human story. We'd like a little bit to look at the ways in which learning from our story can actually connect us so deeply with all of life. There is a tale from the time of the Buddha about a woman whose baby died. And of course, this mother was deeply distraught, deeply saddened and grieving over the death of her child. And she heard about the Buddha and his wonderful teaching and heard of him as a very powerful teacher. And she went to the Buddha cradling her child in her arms and she said to him, if you are so powerful, if you are able to do so much, why can't you bring my child back to life? And the Buddha said to her, I would like you to go to every house in the village and knock on the door and bring back to me a mustard seed from the house of one family who has not experienced loss, who has not experienced grief and sadness. And of course, the woman went to many houses and many knocked on many doors and said, you know, in this house, have you never experienced loss? In this house, have you never experienced sadness and grief? And in every door, she was answered, no, us too. Us too, we know what it means to lose. We know what it means to experience sadness. She came to understand the way in which her story was mirrored in all stories. In all of our stories, there are moments of deep pain and fear. In all of our stories are our experiences of heart and rejection and judgment and loss. Our experiences can wound us so deeply that the whole of the rest of our lives can be dedicated to avoiding the repetition of pain. These are moments, moments of pain, are not moments that we can erase in our lives. Our teaching here and our path here is to learn how to integrate all of these moments in the whole of our story with grace and understanding, that a grace and understanding that is profound enough 
that no moment of pain becomes a conclusion in our life. And understanding deep enough that no moment of pain leads us to the belief of saying, I am this, I cannot do this. Now this story of the mustard seed is not told in any way to attempt to minimize the pain of loss or the suffering of grief but to help us to open in a deeper way to connect with the story of life, with the story of every human heart. That within the story of life and within the story of every human heart, all things that are born will pass away. All things that are formed will also dissolve. No matter how much we struggle, none of us can control the rhythms of life. None of us can predict what the next moment will bring to us. All of life, all of life, is cradled within the warmth of connectedness and relatedness. All life, all beings long for happiness and for peace to be free from fear, to be free from danger. Without understanding this very longing which is so intrinsic to life can be translated into delusion, into a desperate holding on to people, a desperate holding on to things, a desperate holding on to moments, fearing loss or living with blame and despair. There is no grace, there is very little grace within the desperation of this holding. Instead, there is struggle and despair. All of us need to really look at what is the understanding, what is the insight that allows us to live in a way in, with profound grace, with profound integrity, within the unpredictability of our lives, with the inevitability of change that our lives bring to us. All of us are invited to look at the lessons we need to learn that allow us to live with the very rhythms of the life that we live. They are lessons and exploration that invites us to understand what it means to live in a sacred way, to integrate with grace the lessons of each moment. The way to live with grace, the way to live with understanding, part of that way is to be so fully present, to be deeply appreciated, appreciative, our world that we live in is liberated by non-grasping. The world that we live in is confined by holding. Being able to live with grace amongst the inevitability of life's changes does not mean that we will never experience sadness or that we will never experience grief. We will. In this life, we will. 
There was once a very enlightened master called Marpa, who was very, so well known for his great vision and great teaching, his liberation. And one day, too, his child died. And he was weeping, and his disciples came to him and said, Marpa, why, why are you mourning? Why are you weeping? I thought we thought that you had told us that all of life was an illusion. And Martha said, yes, but the death of a child is the saddest illusion of all. In this life, we feel deeply. We are touched by the moments in our lives, by the circumstances and changes within our lives. Living in a spirit of understanding means also being able to live with the very unfoldment of these moments with a profound wisdom and compassion. We speak so much about peace and in so many ways learning how to live in peace in this moment and in our world is a teaching that is very simple and yet it is also very challenging to live in accord the way things are, to live in harmony with actuality. This is peace. Our lives teach us that clinging to any moment, even of joy or happiness, and saying, I am this. Now look at me. Look, I am happy. I am joyful. I will always be this. That moment of holding is a moment of choosing a prison, which actually is a denial of life. It is a denial of life. Even the moments that are of happiness that are clung to, it is a denial of life because it is a denial of the nature of change. To hold on to any moment of sadness and despair and to say, I am, to hold on to any moment of anger, of jealousy, and to say, I am, it is to choose the same prison. The confinement and the limitation is not in the event. The confinement and the limitation is not in the sadness and it's not in the joy. The confinement and limitation is not in the grief or anger. And it's not in the happiness. The confinement and limitation is in the investment and in the holding. To begin to learn how to let go is to begin to open to a deeper sense of understanding and harmony in our relationship to all things. To open to that the actuality of our lives, the truth of ourselves, is really to begin to connect very deeply and to understand the way in which my story mirrors countless stories in our world. Fear is fear, whether it takes place within you or me. Anger is anger, whether it takes place within you or in another. The circumstances, the details, the stories di differ, and yet these moments of experience parallel within each living being. 
Understanding the actualities of life is what enables us to live in accord with the truth of our lives. It is a liberating understanding. It has nothing to do with denial. It has to do with grace. Now, our stories are embodied in many ways. One of the ways in which our stories are embodied are, is in the identities we carry with us, the roles that we choose, or the choices that we make in our lives. We might have the identity of being a mother, a healer, a painter, a teacher, there are so many identities it is possible to have. All of these identities can embody our own particular uniqueness and the gifts that we are able to communicate in this world. All of these identities can and do have the potential to be vehicles of communication, to embody what we hold most true within ourselves. Through our identities, we can communicate what we care for most deeply, what we understand to be most genuine. These are our gifts to the world that we live in. Our identities clearly are powerful vehicles of communication. Through our identities, the roles, the identities we inhabit, we make an impression upon our world. And in making an impression upon our world, we also attract ripples of response. Identities that are vehicles of communication can embody a great freedom and a great authenticity. Identities that are clung to can become our own unique prison. There's a story of a rabbi in Poland, well known for his wisdom. Many people came to visit him from all over the world. And one day there was a very rich man from New York, now insulting him, did. a very rich man from New York who decided to make a pilgrimage to, this ra to, to visit this rabbi. He'd heard he was so wise. So he made this very long journey by plane and by train, and he was hot and tired and exhausted, and then he had to get in a car and in a taxi and direct this taxi driver to this very small village. And when he got to the village, you know, he got out of the car and he started asking people, have you heard about Rabbi so-and-so? You know, I've come so far to see him. You know, I've heard he's so powerful. And eventually he was directed to the, you know, down this little dusty lane, you know, to this small ramshackle house. And he thought, there must be some mistake, you know, this is a famous rabbi, you know, where is he? He knocked on the door, and the door was answered by this kind of daughtery old woman. And he says, is Rabbi so-and-so living here? And the woman says, oh, yes, please do come in. And brought him into this room, and there he saw this old man sitting on this stool by this little table in this very plain and simple room. And the, the man from New York said, are you really Rabbi? Said, Rabbi said, yes, I am. 
He said, but Rabbi, you know, you're so famous, you're so wise, where are all your things, where is your wonderful house that your students have provided for you? You know, where are your books, where are all these things that you've written, where are all your testimonials and credentials? And the Rabbi said, but where are yours? And the man from New York said, but I'm just a visitor here. And the Rabbi said, me too. <laughs> Now, there could be a different version of this story, you know, of the man going to the rabbi's house and going through security, you know, and checking his credentials, you know, and having to wait six weeks for an appointment because the rabbi was too busy, you know, and being invited into this sumptuous mansion and the rabbi sitting there and extolling great commandments about what he should do and telling him how ignorant he was. There could be a different version to this story. There is no prison that is determined by any role, any appearance, or any identity. The father, in his identity and choice, can be as, an aw as awake and free as a sadhu who lives wandering in Asia. The prison is not in the appearance. The prison is in the belief. In ancient times, not so very long ago, people were often afraid to sail very far on the ocean. They were afraid they were going to fall off the edge. This went on for a long time. It's not that long ago. They were afraid if they sailed too far, they would fall off the edge and disappear. This conditioned whole cultures. You know, everybody stayed close to the shore, you know. No one quite knew where the edge was. But everyone knew they didn't want to fall off, and they were sure there was an edge. You know, for many years, this conditioned the lives of many people until a few courageous people got on there in their boat. Maybe they even got lost, who knows? You know, maybe this wasn't even intentional. But lo and behold, they discovered there was no edge. There was actually no edge. And there being no edge meant, of course, that there was no possibility of falling off. You can't fall off if there is no edge. The circumstances, in many ways, did not change. You know, the world really never did have an edge. But the beliefs and the fears were dissolved in the face of new realities. The beliefs and the fears were dissolved in the face of new realities. Beliefs and fears are dissolved in the face of new truths, in the face of new ways of seeing. Now, in this practice, this is what we do. We explore new realities. We explore new possibilities. We explore our own edges. In meditation, we experience the boundless ways in which our sense of reality changes. You know, there can be moments 
of such intense contraction, you know, where we are lost within a particular story, lost within an obsession, you know, maybe you, you know, you, you have a, a, a greedy thought arises and with it arises, you know, all the thoughts about how you've been greedy your whole life, you know, your mother was greedy, your grandmother was greedy, you have a whole history of greed, you know, and because you're greedy, maybe I should fast, you know, and I shouldn't eat here and I should do this and I shouldn't do that. And it can seem so real. It can seem so real. Two hours later, you're sitting there, calm as a peanut, you know, just hanging out, just quite happy, just being there. And you think, what happened? What happened? That experience of being mugged by your own thoughts, <laughs> being assaulted and attacked by your own mind, you know, and in that calmness, you may have exactly the same thoughts that arise. And this is what so is intriguing. You know, you can sit there so calm, and a little bit of a, a, a thought that seems to have a greedy tinge will arise, and it'll pass. You know, it's not that there's different thoughts. It's not that your story has changed dramatically. It's not like you've eradicated your mother and your grandmother. The same thoughts arise, and yet something has changed. Something has changed, clearly. Something has changed. There is no contraction. There is no sense of being in a prison. There are no conclusions. There are no conclusions, and because there are no conclusions, the story keeps unfolding. It keeps moving on and moving through us. It doesn't get stuck. The change has not been in the thoughts. The change has been in our beliefs and in our investment. It is clear that identification and holding drives and compels us. It strengthens our belief in our stories. It is also true that these stories and this investment dissolves <coughs> in the face of changing realities. You have, may have gone through your whole life thinking you were greedy or that you were jealous or that you were angry. Well, what happens when you have one moment of peace, one moment of real calm, one moment of real connectedness. Well, all of that doesn't look quite so true anymore. It doesn't look quite so true anymore. That whole history can be dissolved in one moment of encountering a different understanding of our reality and of who we are. And this is what is so powerful about this practice. You know, one moment of connectedness can penetrate so many layers, so many years, even many lifetimes of belief, of conclusion, and of delusion. Because our moments of connectedness and our moments of calm, our moments of peace, our moments of true open-heartedness 
they speak with their own truth which is unshakable. They speak with a truth which is unshakable. Our sense of understanding ourselves changes in the face of different realities. These moments of connection, moments of spaciousness, they open the doors at the prison of holding. Now sometimes these shifts from contraction to spaciousness, from agitation to calmness, sometimes they seem very random and unpredictable and unreliable. Often they seem to take us by surprise, you know, and we don't know how we got there and we don't know how to get back there. As our practice deepens and develops, it often is true that we seem to be able to rest in calmness, rest in spaciousness sometimes for longer periods, and we begin to have a little confidence. But then we also see that it takes so little to send us sprawling once more. You know, you can have a day of such mindfulness, and you spill your soup at tea time, you know, and the whole thing dissolves, you know. Oh, you know, I am so clumsy, I'm so unmindful, you know, I'm so terrible. You can have a day of real calmness, you know, you're so happy hanging out here, you know. And, and then, you know, you, you trip over somebody's shoes on the way out of the meditation room, or you slam a door, or you do something what seems to be outrageous in this context. <laughs> <laughs> totally understandable in any other context, but we have this really alert watchdog here. And, you know, we, we sort of totally dismiss, oh, you know, this is what I'm really like, I've got so far to go, you know, I'm so kind of unmindful. And we find ourselves lost once more in obsession and dwelling and struggle. I has gained a story. It appears and it passes. We move from spaciousness to contractedness. And it is very useful for us to question, does it really have to be this way? Does it really have to be this way? It is very important for us, actually, to treasure deeply, not to cling, but to treasure deeply those moments of connectedness, moments of expansiveness, to really explore what is the nature of spaciousness? What is the nature of that expansiveness and connectedness? What is the nature of that seeing that can feel so boundless, that can embrace and accommodate all these moving thoughts and feelings and images without ever being disturbed? What is the nature of that seeing that can embrace and accommodate all of these moments of joy and sadness without preferences? The nature of awareness is that it is not identified with anything it is not identified with anything. When we look at much of the busyness that we do find ourselves struggling with, it becomes very clear to us that busyness mostly has to do with the contents of our experience. I hope this has become clear. That busyness is about content. 
It is about being involved with the contents of our experience. Through investing in the contents of our experience, we have judgment and reaction. Through investing in the contents of our experience, we have the feelings of not being good enough, of having to get rid of this and having to fix this, of having to evolve new strategies and new prescriptions, of having to move over here and move over there, and do all of these very busy things that we feel that we have to do. Now, this is all to do with the investment in content. Is there any spaciousness in those moments of investment? If there is, it doesn't feel very apparent to us. It is not that we have lost awareness. Because we never owned it, we can also never lose it. But it is perhaps true to say that the very vastness of awareness is obscured simply by the power of grasping. Our sense of I in the moment of grasping is shaped by the contents of our experience. Suddenly we can experience another moment of letting go and opening when our story doesn't seem so powerful anymore. That's not because we have fixed something or perfected something or found the right strategy. It is because through our connectedness, our sensitivity, our attentiveness, the grasping is let go of. I think it is really important to appreciate that as long as I have a story that I believe in, not quite right way to say As long as I have the inclination to believe in and invest in the stories of the moment, there is always going to be the potential for more busyness, more missions, and more control. The belief in I is like an appetite, a hunger. It is always seeking a companion and the companions are found in our stories. You know, Joseph always sometimes says, well, if it's not one thing, it's another. And I think we see that so much, and for many of you who've done retreats before, we can see how, you know, the very investment in I, the I story, means always having something more to do. You know, I people sometimes speak about their retreat experience as it's a kind of a maintenance record. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, in 89 I worked on my anger and then 1990 <laughs> I got with my jealousy in 91. You know, there was greed, you know, and then 92 I moved on to my defensiveness in 93 and now I'm, I'm here to really see the power of this investment and I mean, I'm so hungry, I've got so much to do, you know, there's always something more. This is how the I is satisfied. Now I'd like you to really pay attention perhaps to the actuality and correct me if I'm wrong, but I have never actually seen the I alone. I've never actually seen the I alone. It's always, I want this, I am this, I have this, I think this, I need this, I need to get rid of this. Now, what would happen? What would happen to us indeed? 
If there was no holding, no identification, no belief, not only in the contents, but also no belief in the I. Well, what a relief. What a relief. What a relief to be able to really understand this is not my body, not my mind, not my story, not my history. Now, would this letting go, what would this letting go actually mean? What would it mean to really let go of all of this investment, all of this identification? Would we die? I've never met anybody who died of letting go. <laughs> never. I've ne I never met anybody who died of being awake. This, you would be the first person in the whole history of the spiritual path. No, we wouldn't die through letting go. We would not die through no longer having investment in either the content or the owner of the content. Certainly, there would still be thoughts. There are thoughts after liberation. Our mind has the potential for immense positive creativity. Our minds have the capacity to articulate insight, to communicate with others, to reflect, to explore, to investigate, to heal. Our minds have the capacity to do all of this. Our minds are liberated by non-dwelling. Imagine a mind that was not confined by fear, by defensiveness, by holding. Our minds are liberated by non-dwelling. What would happen to our bodies if we were truly to let go of our identification with them, our holding? Well, they would still be here. Our bodies would still be here. There would still be sensations, painful sensations, pleasant sensations. What happens to those sensations if there is no need to avoid or pursue? What happens to our bodies if there is no identification, no fear? No sense of being threatened. Ramana Maharshi, a great, great saint in India, once, when he was dying, he was lying in his room. And there were all these people outside his room wailing and tearing their hair and gnashing their teeth and moaning. And he said, what's going on out there? And, and his disciples said to him, but Ramana, you know, everybody is so sad that you are leaving them. And he said, but where do they think I could go? Our bodies are liberated by non-dwelling. Through non-dwelling within our bodies, through no longer holding on to fear or threat, there is grace. The grace to embrace the nature of change, of impermanence the grace to embrace birth and death. Now what would happen to our feelings in the cessation of clinging? Would we sink into neutrality? Would we sink into passivity? No. In the cessation of clinging, there would still be sadness and joy. There would be love and communion. It is true that in the cessation of clinging to either the I or the story about the I, there are some feelings that might very well disappear. Because feelings such, of, such as anger, jealousy, and greed 
they are feelings that only have to do with separation. You know, you can't have anger, jealousy, and greed unless you believe in separation. So some of these feelings that are dependent upon separation certainly and most likely are pretty well going to fade away. Is anyone mourning their passing? Is anyone going to feel like this is a major sacrifice to make, you know, a big impoverishment? Probably not. The ending of identification with I and the story of I means in many ways ending separation. No longer projecting an independent self-existence into anything. It is understanding the nature of interconnectedness, the nature of truth. This ending of separation, the understanding of what is true, actually liberates feeling. We will know deeply profound love, compassion, and joy. We will feel deeply also a sense of awe and gratitude. What happens to our actions and choices, our directions in our life, the identities we might inhabit, if they are not governed by fear of pain or by craving for pleasure? What happens to our identities and choices if they're not governed by fear and self-consciousness and ambition and greed and aversion? What would happen to all of our choices and actions if they rose from a deep well of understanding, if they were guided by a profound sense of truth and intuition? What would happen to our actions and choices if we understood transparency, if they are free from investment, if our actions and choices were truly in the service of healing, in the service of freedom and well-being, then our, our actions and our choices are liberated by non-dwelling. They embody wisdom and they touch the world in a sacred way. What would happen to our world if there was no clinging, if we withdrew our projections and our demands, what would happen to the world if we no longer invested in it, the power to deliver pleasure and to avoid pain? Our world would be liberated by non-dwelling. Our world would be truly liberated by non-dwelling. How does non-dwelling happen? It's not a magical formula. It's not a prescription. It's not a strategy. Non-dwelling is born of understanding. It is born of loving what is true. Our practice is to see that all dwelling brings separation, separates us from ourselves, from the world around us, from other people. Our practice is to really see the ways on a moment-to-moment -moment level that dwelling separates us from a greater sense of truth and reality and to see the fruitlessness and the pain of separation. If we see this clearly, we no longer wish to make our home in separation. We really see the ways in which awareness is ab abandoned by dwelling and insight is not mysterious. 
insight into non-dwelling, insight into understanding what is true, is born of loving, the love of understanding what is true. That, that love of understanding what is true and abiding in what is true is the greatest love in our lives because it frees all things. It frees all things. And we really begin to see in this practice that in non-dwelling, in truly being able to let go of holding, awareness shines. Awareness shines with its own radiance. There's that sense of a radiance of seeing, a radiance of being, which is not inside and it's not outside. It has nothing to do with time or place. But there's a radiance and see of seeing and being which touches all things and illuminates all things. If we could have just a couple of moments quietly together. This talk was given by Christina Feldman at Insight Meditation Society on July 30, 1994. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.